The World According to Gorf. Welcome to another episode of The World According to Gorf on the Nachum Siegel Network. Hi, I'm Gorf, Jordan B. Gorfinkel, and today we have a very special program. We're going to Los Angeles, California, Hollywood, where recently the Stan Lee Kamikaze Comic Book Convention took place. I was honored with hosting a panel of an extremely accomplished group of panelists from the entertainment world, showrunners or producers, that is to say, the chiefs, the bosses of very popular television shows and movies, got together with me, Gorf, to discuss heroes and faith. Here now I present to you, in its entirety, that panel. Enjoy. Welcome to the Heroes and Faith panel at Stanley's Kamikaze Convention in Los Angeles, California. It's great that we have an incredible esteemed bunch of panels here. Let me give a Let me give a quick introduction about Butch Hartman. Calm down, everybody. <laughs> Calm down. Butch is an animator, executive producer, animation director, storyboard artist, voice actor, occasional singer, which I want to hear more about, writer and actor. How, how can one person do all of this? Uh, uh, very, I, just, I get bored very easily. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. Butch created and executive produced The Fairly Odd Parents. We're fans, yes? Good, good, good. Danny Phantom and Tough Puppy. Thank you, guys. Yep. You know what? We'll, we're not going to let the rest of the guys in. It's just going to be Butch and me. For we're done. Right That's it. <laughs> Butch just finished shooting his third live-action Fairly Odd Parents movie, Fairly Odd Summer which will air Nickelodeon in summer 2014. He also has four animated pilots in development at Nickelodeon, and if you're a good audience, Butch has agreed to raffle off one of those pilots to you after. That's right, so I'll have your very own pilot. That's right. <laughs> so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Pitching it's fun, it's fun to go through network execs, it's really fun. And I also want to add that Butch, in 2005, you founded the not-for-profit Hartman House. That's right funding charitable endeavors in developing nations and poverty-stricken areas in the U.S. At the far end, we have David Sachs, a television writer and producer whose work on The Simpsons earned him an Emmy Award, and he also won a Golden Globe for Third Rock from the Sun. We'll be auctioning off that Emmy afterwards along with Butch's pilot. Yes. His writing and producing credits also include Malcolm in the Middle and my favorite, The Tick, which I didn't actually know until I looked it up. Oh, yeah. 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 Live, live action, live action. Love The Tick. Well, that was brilliant. We'll, we'll get back to that. The former editor of Harvard Lampoon, which is Harvard's humor magazine, David is a man ahead of his time, having co-founded Jewish Impact Films, GIF, which was a fellowship that gave talented college students an opportunity to create viral videos about faith. And this was several years before the advent of YouTube. And uh, we'll see David Weiss worked on that as well, and that's where I met those fine fellows. He also produces the weekly podcast Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. And the latest episode was produced this morning. It's available on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And everybody here... Spiritual Judo. 
Spiritual Judah was the subject of this morning's class. David Sachs brought an amazing collection of comic books with him. He has X-Men number nine that he's carrying right now in fine condition. So if you want to mug somebody afterwards, he's the guy to see. X-Men number nine? Yeah. What condition is it in? It's in fine condition. Very good in fine condition, yes. Which means something to everybody in this audience, right? It goes... Right. It's just fine, right? Is it a technical term of art? It's a technical term of art, yeah. It goes uh, good, fine, uh, mint. And uh, who do we have next? Saladin. Saladin Patterson. Sorry, I didn't know what order people were going to sit in over here, so I had to... Do you want us to move to to the order? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. I'm not moving. Earned an undergraduate degree in electrical engineering. He graduated from MIT. One of the things I noted when talking to these fine gentlemen before was that I don't think there's anybody here whose education set them directly on the path to the entertainment world. So it's quite interesting that everybody ended up becoming a creative person through entertainment, through writing, and so forth. So Saladin graduated with a master's degree in psychology from Vanderbilt University. He was a writer and producer for the TV show Frasier and is presently a writer... and is presently a writer and co-executive producer for the TV show Psych. He has previously written... (laughs) By the way, everybody here, you can tell all your friends that they missed the best panel of the convention. Yeah, really, guys. This is a powerhouse lineup. Uh, And he has previously written episodes of Teen Angel, Frasier, we said, Bernie Mac show. He also wrote the screenplay for the movie The Fighting Temptations. And I just learned he is partly responsible for all the good jokes in Scary Movie 5. (laughs) Okay, next up, who do we have here? We have David N. Weiss. Fabulous David Weiss. Fabulous and Emmy nominee. David N. Weiss has written for Hollywood's most enduring and successful family films, from Academy Award-nominated Shrek 2 and Jimmy Neutron Boy Boy Genius to the Rugrats movies, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Ice Cube's Are We There Yet, no doubt drawn on personal experience, (laughs) and the Smurf movies. Also personal experience. (laughs) Yeah, right. He has many blue people in his family. His combined box office now exceeds $2 billion worldwide. So in addition to the two raffles I mentioned before, if you need a grant for your independent film, we will be raffling off David Weiss. (laughs) As head writer of the Rugrats TV series with his writing partner, J. David Stern, David also co-wrote the perennial Rugrats Hanukkah and Rugrats Mother's Day. He is a graduate of USC Film School and a proud member of the Motion Picture Academy and former vice president of the Writers Guild of America. He is also a writer of children's books, directed a number of award-winning shorts, and travels the world to lecture on screenwriting and religion. That is David N. Weiss. Well, and he also directed me in a short film 25 years ago when I was an actor. No kidding. Called yes, what? What was it called? It was called uh, Who Do You Listen To? Who Do You Listen To? Was, uh, I was an actor. He was my director. And are you guys going to sing a song for us later? Possibly. Was that Good. after CalArts? <laughs> What's that? That was after CalArts. Yes, after CalArts. So you graduated from CalArts and said, I will try and be an actor. That's what and I did. And you got beaten back into animation. That's exactly what happened. Right. Because <laughs> right. he needed something secure to fall back on. <laughs> <laughs> I would be a director and I got beaten back into animation. That's right. That's right. Right, and I studied communications, and I, I got beaten into comic books. So there's something <laughs> yeah. backwards about all of this. It's called learning from experience. <laughs> Eric Kaplan, sitting to my left, is a philosopher and a comedy writer. He is co-executive producer of The Big Bang Theory on CBS. Wow. <laughs> I think 
Garrick has turned the biggest applause of the evening. He's creator of Love Me Cat on YouTube and the head of the animation studio Marari Films, which I want to learn more about. Eric is alum of the Harvard Lampoon as well and got his first job ready for The Late Show with David Letterman. A little trivia, I worked across the street from David Letterman's office for many years. That's where DC Comics Oh, did, I went to visit Bill there. Yeah, we were discussing that. Oh, that's right. That's right, because we turned out Bill Kaplan is one of Eric's friends for some of the DC people who are here in the audience. And what have I left out about Eric? He studied philosophy at Columbia and Berkeley, lots of philosophy, and taught English in Thailand, to your credit. And, of course, I haven't forgotten, his book, Does Santa Claus Exist? A Philosophical Investigation, is coming out with Dutton in 2014. That's Eric Kaplan. And finally, your moderator. I am Gorf, and my background is that I was the head of the Batman franchise along with a wonderful team of people for the better part of a decade. During that period of time, we created No Man's Land and Birds of Prey and all kinds of great stuff that became movies, TV shows, and so forth that continues to make lots of money for Warner Brothers. You're welcome, Time Warner. <laughs> but all joking aside, it's a wonderful calling card for me because now as part of Avalanche Comics Entertainment, I get to do storytelling and transmedia around the world, working with great corporations like Microsoft and Clorox, foundations like the Steinhardt Foundation, the Avichai Foundation, and many other wonderful organizations and entertainment companies doing storytelling telling in a variety of media, and I also am the cartoonist for JewishCartoon.com, and if you would take out your smartphones now, and uh, there's a reason for this, uh, aside from shilling. The reason is because if you go to at Jewish Cartoon on Twitter, I would ask you all to tweet at us. If you have any comments or questions, we'll do our best to read them right here and have that kind of additional interaction. So here we go. So the first they question... Could, they could also raise their hand, right? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, you, can use, <laughs> you can, you can just raise us here, for God's sake. You can raise your smartphone. By the way, if we have questions for each other, we'll also tweet them at each other. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be like the kids are these days. Is it working like for me? Thank you. I appreciate that, Eric, very much. So, Butch, when everybody was walking in, yes. I was asking, what does it mean to have faith? That right. was the opening question. Right, and I, I think I said, to me, these days, uh, having faith means to have courage, because um, there's so few, I, I don't know, there's so many, it seems like the secular world's sort of taken over uh, people's thoughts these days. Like I said, 50 years ago, if you were a Christian, it was sort of stylish, and now nowadays you're laughed at and mocked, sort of, uh, maybe behind your back, but... I think it takes a lot of guts to have faith in any form these days and to be vocal about it because so few people... So I think when you have faith, that means you are accountable to a God that's higher than you. And nobody wants to be accountable. Everybody wants to make their own rules. And when you have to admit there's something out there you have to answer to, nobody likes that. People want to make up their own you know, story. And my follow-up question was, so you worked on Danny Phantom, and a ghost would seem to be at odds with Christian faith. How do you, how do you reconcile that? You know, when I created Danny Phantom, the first thing I wanted to do was, I was I'm a superhero fan, obviously, um, a comic book freak, and I uh, wanted to make a show about a good guy defeating bad guys, which I think is a classic Christian philosophy. It's the light coming into the darkness. And uh, one of the things Nickelodeon wanted to do was, oh yeah, he could fight the ghost of Elvis and the ghost of, he could fight the ghost of Abe Lincoln. And I didn't want to fight, I didn't want to fight the ghosts of dead people. I didn't want him to fight dead people. I wanted to, he fights monsters from another dimension. We call them ghosts, but he has ghost powers. We can turn, like he's like Casper and turn invisible. He can fly and he can float and turn intangible, things like that. But it was never about um, heaven and hell ever. And Danny Pham just about a guy coming in, light coming into the darkness and defeating evil. That's all it is. And um, I had a Christian network exec who tried to 
turn the show around and not even get it developed. He kept fighting every step of the way, and it took a long time to get that show on the air because this guy had an agenda to shut me down because uh, he, he had a certain Christian agenda. He didn't believe in it at all, and I kept saying, look, I think this is a great message. It's, you know, it's, it's a positive message, and he kept fighting me. And he was removed, and then we had another executive man who got to make the show. So uh, you had him killed. I had him killed. <laughs> and Danny Phantom fights his ghost now. Yeah. Right. But he's in heaven, so it's okay. But he's in heaven, so it's okay. Saladin, what does it mean to have faith? Well, the technical answer is faith is the substance of things hoped for, and evidence of things not seen. What was the second part? Substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. That's also a cheat, though. I mean, I'm just quoting the Bible. Hebrews 11, one with that one. Um, <laughs> but to answer, to honestly answer, um, it means to take one step that you know you're supposed to step, knowing that the rest of your path will be decided upon and guided by God. If you take that one step that you know you're supposed to step, and leave the rest to Him. David Sachs, what does it mean to be a hero? You know, I'll tell you a, a, a Hasidic story. So, uh, Sorry, David, can you get on the microphone? Yeah. Thank you. So this is a, a, a Hasidic story, So, um, but it's true. So um, the Sams Rebbe was a, a great spiritual master. So he, he was in his house, and he opens up the, the window to his house, and he sees uh, one of his followers, basically, and he calls him over, and he says, come here, come here. And he says to the guy, he says, um, uh, if you found some money, like a bag of money in the street, what would you do? And the guy says, uh, well, it doesn't belong to me, so I would uh, return. And he says, fool! And he chases him away. And then he calls over another person. He says, if you found a bag of money in the middle of the street, what would you do? And he says, well, you know, he was standing before his spiritual master, his Rebbe. He didn't want to lie. He says... To be totally honest, you know, times are a little tough for me right now, and I probably kind of look both ways, and if no one was coming, I'd probably keep the money. And he said, wicked, and he sends him away. And then he sees another one of his guys, and he calls him over, he says, if you found the bag of money, what would you do? And he says, well, I'd like to think that I would do the right thing, but the truth is, I don't know what I would do. Uh, until I was in that exact circumstance. And he goes, ah, that's the right answer. So I think maybe a hero is someone who, in the circumstance that they're presented, tries their best to do the right thing at that moment. Eric Kaplan, feel free to applaud. Did he give the person the bag of money when he gave him the right answer? You know what? I have the bag of money right here. <laughs> but he's Canadian. David, I have a question for David before I hear you. Please. So does that mean that we don't know if we have faith or not until we've been tested? You know... I know he did say here. I'm, I'm, I'm taking... I, I'm, I'm just asking him. <laughs> Can you say it again? Because I'm pretty sure David Weiss knows the answer to this. <laughs> well, like you'd say, uh, Saladin had a, a good definition um, that faith is is acting on things that you... It's acting as if you believe things are true when you're not 100% sure. It's not clear to your eyes that they're sure. Um, now, like, and we know about people who would do things like 
they they their exemplars of faith that they'll they'll die rather than do something wrong. Now, does that mean that until we're in that situation, we don't know the extent of our faith? That we're kind of sort of in a, in the process of discovering through our lives if we have faith or not. Yeah, so I, I was just uh, studying something recently, and um, there's another uh, spiritual giant. His name is uh, the Kutzkerev, one of the great Hasidic masters, again, uh, Jewish luminaries. He's famous for saying a lot of things. My, one of my favorite teachings of his is that um, he says it's a very great miracle to resurrect the dead, but it's an even greater miracle to resurrect the living. Right? So, you know he's the real deal. So, <laughs> Anyway, so, um, so uh, he says like this, that basically um, the way life works is, is that you get tests. You know, we're, we're, we're always being tested in one, one way or another. What does it mean to be tested? To be able to, um, like uh, Butch was saying, to be able to illuminate the darkness, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so a test is basically you're transacting light, if you will, right? You have a difficult situation and you're trying to make light out of it. And so, so the thing is, so the Kutzkerebi says that, that like, if you do something right, then you get an even bigger test. Right? Because you, you've shown that you're capable of doing more. So you get a bigger test. And if you fail that, you get a smaller test. If you fail that, you get a smaller test. You get, if you pass that, you get a bigger test. So I guess the idea, Eric, to, to answer your, your question, or to the best I can right now, is that do you, do you not know what you're capable of until the moment? I think that every single moment that you um, do something spiritual, you do something good or bad, whatever it is, your status in terms of the universe changes. And, and, and so you don't know what you're capable of because the universe is new every single moment and it's been custom-tailored to who you are at that moment and what your capabilities are. Mm-hmm. Right. I, like, I, I think it's interesting, like, I, I like Saladin's um, definition that it's, a, it's the evidence of things not seen, because if you think about it, um, when you know another person, what do you see? Well, I don't know, I, I guess you see their face, what do you see their skin, what do you see? Um, if, you, if you think that that person is worthy of respect, that might be something that falls in the category of faith, because do you see that they're worthy of respect? I don't know. Do you think that they're create, they're, they're infinite? I mean, I don't know what a soul means exactly, but if you think that they have infinite depth, that's something like having a soul, you don't, you don't really see that. So it almost seems that before we even get into, like, capital A fat, <laughs> before we learn to actually use words to express ourselves, before we actually get into capital F faith, that it's kind of interesting, like, even... Even viewing another person as another person, as opposed to just somebody who, you know, can give us money or who might attack us or who might not attack us, just seeing another person as a as a genuine other life requires, I think, a level of faith that is very difficult, very difficult to obtain. It's kind of a goal. David N. Weiss, you described yourself to me as a person working within a faith. A few generations ago, a man named Stanley Lieber changed his name to Stan Lee and became successful as the creator of Spider-Man and the Marvel pantheon of characters. Today, here we all are with extremely ethnic names unchanged. How does your faith drive your success in the entertainment world, and how does it temper your failures? 
Well, I changed my name. I gave in to the pressure. of We were Schwartzbaum. And so I changed it to Weiss so people would think I was Jewish. Um, so that was not fake. Um, Eric, Eric brought up the use of the F word, and so um, the, the capital F. So I would say that faith makes a huge difference in, in my career in that Hollywood is a crazy place to work. And um, so, and, and I would go to the definitions that people gave. So what is faith? Because I work within a faith, right? So I practice uh, my faith. And, and it, you know, I wear my little funny hat to work. And um, I don't, I won't eat food that isn't considered to be kosher, which can be a nuisance on a film shoot or a, but that's all part of my faith. So I would say, you start with the definition. I remember when I was, I was teaching Sunday school ages ago, and there was an apocryphal story that was told in the training that they asked a second grader his definition of faith. And he said, faith was the ability to believe in those things that you know can't be true. <laughs> was it Mark Wayne? Was, was his name Mark Wayne? Was that, was it Mark who said that? Okay, well, he was, uh, he was younger than I thought. <laughs> so, well, the reports of his death were exaggerated. So. That's what they say. That's what they say. So, um, but... Failure comes rapidly and quickly in Hollywood, and very often the things that you write are terrible, and you have to rewrite them and rewrite them until you're fired. Or, uh, and now and then, you know, you write something and it comes out. Well, if my ability to withstand uh, challenges was based on simply a confidence that, you know, my work will be good enough and that's sufficient, I think I would join the ranks of many, many writers who have died of overdoses or drank themselves to death. I like to believe that there's more to the universe than what meets the eye, and and that that belief in a God that looks out for us and cares about us gives me the confidence to say that despite the way things that might be going at any given time, that I can believe things will be okay, and maybe not even the way I want them to be. One of my heroes is George Washington, and we're just looking uh, at, at some quotes that he had. And these guys, like these are heroes: George Washington, General Patton, Eisenhower. Uh, you know, guys that were winning wars, uh, Winston Churchill, um, you know, never give up. Um, uh, what do you say? Success is the ability to to uh, go from failure to failure without losing your optimism. And um, they believed in something greater, and and that allowed them. That's that's where I read it. Maybe it was Mark Twain. I don't know. <laughs> Pretty sure Churchill was an agnostic. Do you, do you, do you well, I know, I know about the quote, whether or not he had faith in that. Oh, okay. Same quote. He had faith in he had faith in, in the English people's ability to rally together, and that was something great about okay. himself. Yeah, okay. I don't mean that he was a godly man. Okay. I have no idea. He's a funny man. He's a funny, funny fellow. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, that my faith allows me to plow ahead and stay optimistic. And I would go back to the definition thing. To me, uh, a hero is somebody who operates on faith. In other words, as David said, you do the right thing no matter the cost, and, and you live by principle, and that you have to be a hero for, because you don't know what will come. You don't know, George Washington didn't know if they were going to win that war, and he's paddling across the Potomac with a bunch of young men who might get their brains blown out. And But he felt that what he was doing was the right thing. He had a guiding you know, light to, to follow, and you know, Moses in the wilderness, he didn't know if he was going to make it to the promised land, and he didn't. He didn't make it. He, was, he never made it, but he knew that to go there was the right thing, and he led the people. So my faith keeps me moving forward and keeps me upbeat and keeps me, I hope, doing the right thing, kind of no matter the cost. Right. Clearly, God did not take the Robert McKee screenwriting course because if he <laughs> had, then Moses would have made it to the promised land. 
In any event, as professional... He believes in tragedy. McKeever's good with tragedy. That's true. That's true. I don't mean to... In the comedy version, Moses would have made it. By the way, it's true. It would make an amazing black comedy. He would have slipped on a banana just before he got... Oh! Can I comment on that? Please. Please. Yeah. I think it's it's worth... uh, just noting that you've got the five books of Moses, which is, you know, also known as the Torah, the Bible, whatever you want to call it, and it ends without Moses getting into Israel. I, everyone should just appreciate that for a moment, just on a narrative level, what it means that there's no closure to that story. And what, what does that mean, I think, on a deeper level? You know, we're talking about heroes, and, and I know probably all you guys are into sci-fi, I am too. The idea that the, the, the soul never stops traveling. That's what it's a metaphor for. There is no closure, because ultimately, metaphysically, there's never any closure. The soul leaves the body, and it continues to travel throughout the dimensions, the infinite heavenly dimensions, forever. And so you can't get to the end, because because that makes you God, and only God is God, but we can journey within God at ever higher levels for all eternity. This is an open question to anyone in the panel that wants to address this. As professionals of faith, is it our responsibility to bring morality to the entertainment that we create? Or is our responsibility to be agnostic, which is to say that plot and character are our gods? I think, um, just real quick, um, when I first started doing my show, The Fairly Odd Parents on Nickelodeon, um, I was approached by Fox uh, a lot to do, like... um, one of the Fox animated shows, like, hey, can you create a show for Fox, you know, with, with sex and with dirty, filthy things in it and stuff like that, and uh, you make a lot more money. And I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I couldn't uh, go there. I, I wanted to at least make a show. I wouldn't be embarrassed about to show my kids. You know, I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that no matter where I traveled in the world, no matter how old I was, no matter who saw my show, anybody could watch it. And I'm, I'm not putting those shows down. That's not for me. I, I think South Park is really funny and... Other shows like that are really funny, but that's just not something that I'd want to do. And so uh, that's just within, that's always been within me, I think. So I think for me, um, yeah, there, there's been times where I've been approached to actually do those type of racy shows, and I don't choose to do that because I want to make sure that there is some morality in there. I'm not saying those shows don't have morality because they do, but they kind of go through kind of a swamp to get to the morality, and I, I'm trying to avoid the swamp, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Following up on that, Eric, you work on a series television show. You must be confronted regularly with all kinds of jokes that are thrown out in the writer's room that may stretch the boundaries of your own faith. Can you address that? That's never happened. I don't know know what that means, really, because I think the, 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 the moral task of a writer is to be honest. So, I mean, if you if you look at the world and you look at people and you convey what you see honestly, you've done your job. And to say like, "Wow, I'm going to write a uh, I'm going to write a, a book about you know." Holocaust, but I'm going to have it turn out great because those were all great people, so they should all turn out great at the end. Uh, that, that strikes me as immoral. So, so I wouldn't I, I like the idea that people need these sort of fables where the good are rewarded and the evil are are punished. I, I think is is disrespectful to the audience. But I, I don't. I've never heard a joke that 
is, is offensive to faith. I, I, I don't. What, I what, what are you thinking of? I wish I had. You only have one. No, I don't have any specific examples to cite. Rather, I can tell you from my own personal experience that working on comic books, I'll give you one very specific example. So I worked on Catwoman, and the artist uh, who worked on Catwoman was a wonderfully talented guy, but he gave Catwoman a very overly... Um, uh, yes, I, I, there are children in the audience, so I don't want to get too specific, but you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, and when I worked at DC Comics, by the way, I was very open about my religious practice under here. I'm wearing this hat. I survived No Man's Land, which is a reference to a Batman series that I worked on. But I went around with my yarmulke, my kippah, and, uh, and everybody was extremely respectful. It helps that the entertainment industry is a liberal industry by and large, an acceptance of people expressing their differences. But I was uncomfortable with the idea that I was creating Catwoman, and my name was on it, and it was very much against what I personally felt comfortable doing. Can I open up a question? Yes, please. Why is a, a, a beautiful woman's body offensive to your faith? Oh, it wasn't offensive to my faith. It was, and I wouldn't say it was offensive so what was at the, all. What was the, it, what was, was the issue? it was at odds with the code of modesty that I practiced in my own life. And I'll give you another example. This is probably a better example. There was a scene with Nightwing, the former Robin the Boy Wonder, Batman sidekick, in the Batcave. And the way it was written, he was eating pepperoni pizza. And I asked the writer, would you please change it from being pepperoni to being something more vegetarian? And he said, why? And I said, well, because in my own life I keep kosher, and I'm aware that in Islam there is halal, and every religion has its certain restrictions. I think that if Nightwing is eating pepperoni pizza you're adding a barrier to somebody being able to relate to this character. And that's the way I felt. But listening to what you just said right now, if you're being honest about who the character is and reflecting real life, then that's an absolutely valid direction to go in. To, to me, this is a mysterious and, and kind of funny question because I, I mean, I'm not an expert on comic books, but one of the things Batman does is he, he punches people. And that's that's against. I don't do that. Do you do that? <laughs> but he but punches the, but bad the, people. But I, you don't. I don't decide. I don't wander the streets of the city at night, decide who's bad, and punch them. I let I let the, the police take care of that. If I did that, I would belong in in jail. So it's weird that like, wow, she's in a low cut dress. Oh my god! <laughs> but this other character is is busting into people's homes and punching their lights out, and that's okay. I have to just. I mean, I find it mysterious. I, I don't want to dwell on it too much. I'll just give you a simple answer that Batman, for me, is a character who bettered himself, who makes himself the best person he can to deal with personal demons. Mm -hmm. And if there's any reason to be a person of faith, it's that ultimately, despite a terribly tragic youth, he has made himself into a hero of the people who mm -hmm. tries to prevent other people from experiencing what he went through. But he probably needs right now. I'd probably fall in between you two guys. I, I kind of like that my dad wanted to be a doctor. I'm not a doctor, but the doctor's creed is first do no harm. So with the entertainment I do, I try to not hurt anybody, you know, which I think is a great place to start. I like my kids to be able to see what, what I do. But as my kids grow older now, and now they're watching, you know, Breaking Bad and, and Nikita, it's harder to hurt them. And um, I feel like I want them to see what I'm what I'm working on, so I'm gonna I age up, you know, the, the material. But there's gotta be a line somewhere. I mean, you know, 
there's all kinds of things that are true that aren't necessarily, you know, but you said... So where's the line? Where's yeah, the line of responsibility? People having relations naked, you know, in the bedroom is true, that happens, but it doesn't really fit in the Smurfs movie so well. Uh, <laughs> but it could, I mean, that it was a married couple and they had a baby somehow. So I, I think we have to find... There's a strange thing about cursing that I noticed with, like, my kids, which is I'll curse when they're not around. And they'll curse when I'm not around. <laughs> so I wonder what, and I'm not going to, I'm not saying this to mean we should both curse when the other one is around, but it does make me wonder what, what we're accomplishing. <laughs> so, like, I, if we never show, I, I, I I'm, just puzzled. I'm just puzzled. I can help you with that. What are we accomplishing? You are, you're accomplishing the, the building of some reasonable barriers of modesty and restraint. And, and I, I'll tell my kids that. I know what my kids do when I'm not around. And I know some of what they do. And I'll actually be very open with them. I'll say, look, not at the dinner table. You know, not, not in front of your father. And there's something about knowing, as Bush was saying, that there's, you're responsible to something above you. That's one of the reasons we wear our little hats. Mm-hmm. So even this, it could seem like a silly exercise. And it can be if you do it just by rote and for no other reason except there was a rule there. But if you're doing that out of a sense of respect, and yeah, look, we all slip up, and I, you know, I slip, and I think I taught my, my daughter one of the worst words she knows when she asked me. She, my friends were using the F word, and what was it? And we were, I, was, I didn't want her to be completely out of the, so I, she was probably eight or nine or something, and I the, was telling her how to spell it. The F word is in faith? No, the other one. <laughs> and when I to spell it, it rhymes with truck, it starts, and she sounded it out in front of me, and it was so cute, you know, and she said, okay, well. We're done with that. But there is something, I think, about of saying that there are some just boundaries and some, some respect and some, some modesty. And I think it's a good exercise. I think you're accomplishing something. Maybe. You're listening to The World According to Gorf on jmintheam.org. Actors say that villains don't see themselves as villains, rather heroes in their own minds and twisted logic. Throughout history, religion has been corrupted to justify great evil. Saladin, I have a question for you. How does faith inform your development of writing antagonists, dare I say, villains? Um, let me think of an honest answer, because, you know, I'm trying to think of villains that I've written on Frasier or um, <laughs> maybe on Psych, actually. Um, or just, just in general, in terms of bad guys or antagonists. You know, I probably do accept more responsibility to have some sort of morality in my writing, you know, if I can kind of piggyback on the last question was to answer this one. So when I do come up with, you know, someone who's an antagonist to a main character um, or an anti-hero, I probably am looking for, oddly enough, you know, something that's truthful, something that people can relate to, but something that will make it easier and clearer to illuminate what I consider the right or just or, or, or justified response or behavior is, you know. So I, I guess I use, I try to make the antagonist, if I could use that word, someone developing a way that's going to actually shine a light on what I want to point out in the hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Butch Hartman, I'd like you to address the question as well. You've had so many wonderful villains in all of your various work. Um, it's funny, my... my uh, most of my villains, I, I, it's a comedy situation I'm dealing with. Uh, most of my villains are frustrated failures. <laughs> they, uh, I think, um, like he said, the villain 
exists to make the good guy look better. You know, um, we uh, like Mr. Crocker on uh, Fairly Odd Parents is a uh, um, he's a teacher. He's supposed to be a leader of children, but he's completely. <laughs> got a warped sensibility where he wants to just destroy this 10-year-old kid. <laughs> um, fails every time. Character, by the way. He's great. I love oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. You should see the live action version of it. It's very funny. The guy who plays him in the movie is very funny. But um, it's just, I think when you have a great villain like the Joker, it just makes Batman that much better. You know, I mean, Batman does exist to right wrongs and to, and to fight the bad guy. And when you have a great bad guy, it's such a, much more of a challenge for the good guy. So um, I think... You really wouldn't have a good guy without a villain because he would just be a guy. <laughs> you wouldn't have anything to compare him to, right? Like, um, you know, um, there's uh, in, in, in Christianity, there's uh, Satan and there's Christ. And um, everyone thinks that Satan and Christ are equal, but they're really not because without, you know, Christ, Satan's a created thing that God slash Christ supposedly created. And uh, I don't think God created Satan on purpose. There was a, a, a there was a free will there. This This guy... Uh, Lucifer became uh, Satan because he wanted to be like God. And I think when you have this villain reaching to this, I don't know, it's really weird to reach to this goal, you had to. It, it's hard to answer that question, really. I mean, what's going on? I just. Let me ask you this then. Yeah. Uh, you're an actor. Which would you rather play, God or Satan? Ah, interesting. I'd rather play. Um, Probably the good guy. I'm a guy who loves heroes. I love Luke Skywalker. I love Clark Kent. You know, I love Peter Parker. I, villains, I think, are necessary, but I don't really like. Uh, wouldn't want to play one of them myself. Mm-hmm. I'm probably a pretty boring person, but uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, just, I think anytime we've dealt with a villain, and we've done a lot of different villains in, in movies, especially for kids, the villain has to believe in his goal. He has to think that what he's doing is right, or he's a Hollow, boring, and Darth Vader thinks he's bringing order to the universe by, by crushing the rebellion. And that's, and he, because he believes in that so passionately. Even Gargamel in the Smurfs movie, as silly as that movie is, I, Hank Azaria is such an amazing actor. He, you, you know him from the Simpsons and all the voices he does, but he plays Gargamel. He's a wonderful guy. But the moment when the Smurfs get away in the little portal and they go, the, the, the look in his eyes of just, it looks as though someone has just kidnapped his child onto a bus. He's just devastated that they got away. And hats off to him for Zachary. But he desperately needs the Smurfs to bring about the goals that he has. And you you hurt for him in a silly little way. And I think the villains, any time you have a villain that believes that he's evil, you usually have a pretty boring show. Mm -hmm. David Sachs, on The Simpsons, there are portrayals of people of faith. We think of Ned, for example, as one of those great characters. And Krusty the Clown, of course, Rabbi Krustovsky, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Right? So, can you talk about what it was like to be writing characters like that and what the reception, both from executives who had to put this on the air and the audience that consumed it was? You know, I remember Matt Groening always uh, wanted some, when I was there, the seasons I was there anyway, he, he always wanted more emotion in the, in the, in the shows. And I remember he came in one time and just to plead before the writers because he, he wasn't in the writers room that much. Um, and he, he, he wanted to plead to the writers that there should be more emotion. And he, he said, I, I remember, he said, I know that the job of a comedy writer is to, um, I think he said, uh, puncture hypocrisy or to expose hypocrisy. And I always thought that that was really interesting. I don't know if this is an answer to your question, but... He was, he was trying to say that I think that um, that that all of these characters 
the main goal was to try to highlight truth, not necessarily to make fun of anyone, but to, um, if someone was misrepresenting a godly path, to, to show that that was, um, that was also wrong. Well, Flanders is a complete mockery of Christianity. I mean, isn't he, though? The character Flanders? I guess so, yeah. Yeah, he totally is, yeah. So... Well, Butch, how do you feel about that character? Oh, I think he's a funny character, don't get me wrong. And there's a lot of hypocritical Christians out there, believe me. Um, I think Christians can probably be the most hypocritical people sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's the few that make the most look bad. I mean, there's a few that are really bad that make everybody look bad. I think, mm-hmm. it's, I think it's true in every walk of life. But I have noticed, and Dave and I were just talking, you said Hollywood's a very liberal, open society, unless you're a Christian. <laughs> it's really, it's very tricky as a Christian person to be... Why? It just is. I... Um, I don't know why. Like I said before, it's um, at, you're sort of looked at as um, you're sort of mocked in a way, and then you're, you're kind of whispered at uh, behind. I, I don't know why. I really don't know why. Um, I wish I could answer that. You know, my, my my feeling has always been I've been worried if I'm dealing with someone who who thinks that they know what I should do to get right with God, mm-hmm. and my encounters with Christians have tended to fall in that direction. That we have some conversations, and then there's well, there's this guy who was God, and you better get right with him. So that's why I think it's a sort of defensiveness. Oh, sure. No, I can see there's a lot of people out there, like a lot of Christians are trained to just go after it and get somebody saved, and then that's it. You know? Right. Uh, but even if you don't say that, if I know deep down it's what you think, <laughs> you know, it's going to make me feel a little kind of have the heebie-jeebies. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I think a lot of people, I think um, there are some um, other religions in the world that can make people have the heebie-jeebies. There's, yeah, uh, for sure. There's a lot, a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of very, very extreme worse. radical uh, things in the world that can make you have the heebie-jeebies. But anyway, I could totally understand that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. with so much religion and religious portrayal in entertainment, and I'll just use Hollywood as the catch-all for entertainment, yeah. why do I frequently see entertainment get religion so wrong? And I'll give you a specific example. So I'll, I'll watch a movie, and, and there'll be a Jewish family in the movie, and they'll have to say the hamotzi, which is the blessing over the bread. And the actor is mangling the Hebrew, just not getting it right. And I'm thinking, I know it's tough to find a Jew in Hollywood. <laughs> but for heaven's sakes. So, uh, Eric, I'm curious. Are there any Jewish characters on the Big Bang Theory, meaning characters who have been identified or their backstory is Jewish? Yeah, Howard Wolowitz is Jewish. And... It's, wow, I, I can't remember how he decided. At some point he was scared when he was in outer space. And he said the Shema. And, or he said something like, I don't know any prayers. So he said some kind of half-remembered Hebrew. And I remember kind of going back and forth as to whether whether that was okay or not. I don't remember how he decided. But um, as to whether he should not say the words. I remember. I, I said I don't think they should actually say the actual name of God. I think they should not say it because he's not actually making a prayer. But he ended up saying it, or I, I don't remember, but it, that there is a Jewish character on the, on the Big Bang Theory. That, yes. Because I recall, for example, and this is the total Jewish perspective on watching a television show, from the show Friends. So Ross and Rachel were Jewish. Mm-hmm. And for many years, Ross kept marrying non-Jewish people. And I kept thinking, why can't he get with the Jewish girl? Wasn't she his sister? What's that? Wasn't she his sister? Uh, no, Monica was Monica. his sister. Oh, okay. Right. That would have been a completely different religion. Totally in the dark. Yeah, yeah. 
So I, I and um, let's take Superman since we're at a comic book convention. Let's take Superman as an example. So Superman is based very clearly on many religious parables, stories such as the Moses story, right? So you have Moses who's put in a, a raft to travel down the Nile to eventually find his salvation through kindly adopted parents. And if that's not the story of the Krypton rocketing from, through space to Earth and so forth, then I don't know what and is. He also was, he was uh, if you ever came in contact with pork, he was like kryptonite. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> did he have faith? Did Superman have any faith? In the beginning, he did not. For the first many, many years, I, I'm happy to be contradicted from the man, members of the audience on this, but in the beginning he did not. He was very faith agnostic, mm-hmm. um, except that he did occasionally say Great Rayo, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which was a sun god from Krypton. Oh, interesting. Huh. Uh, but he is here to fight for truth and justice in the American and it, Right, but mm-hmm. that recently has been changed to truth, justice, and... All some, the rest of it. Yeah, all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, all the, he, that, is, that he is here today, so we could... That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and by the way, when we were talking about souls being reincarnated, I'm glad that Phoenix came back, because <laughs> the way you, you just you, keep... Yeah, the way you keep dying and coming back to life is an inspiration. So <laughs> keep doing I, that thing you do. I, I, know, I know a great uh, piece of Superman trivia that uh, I don't think... As far as I know, hasn't been widely reported. Um... So, oh, are we done? He's saying God is one. Oh, wow. One minute. (laughs) We have one minute. Here we go. I lost track of time here. Okay, David. So, so, uh, Superman's uh, creators, who are the Jews? Jerry Siegel and Joe Joe Shuster, yeah. Two Two Jewish Jewish guys. And and, uh, those of you might be familiar that on Friday night at the Sabbath table, you have challah. And so you you need it on a board. And the original uh, design of Superman was actually drawn on the back of a challah board. No kidding. As a backing, just because he needed right. something to... And his uh, name was Kalel, which, you know, <laughs> it means God. And it, the S is one of the grades in the Quran. Comments, questions, or you just want to fetch? Go to facebook.com slash the world according to Gorf. I'm going to wrap things up here with some rapid-fire questions, and we're just going to go down the row over and over. Okay, you ready for this? Yep. David Sachs, who inspired you to be religious? Short answers, two, three words. Uh, my parents. Uh, who do we have next? Saladin, who inspired you to work in entertainment? Charles Schultz. Good answer. Here, uh, David Weiss, who still thinks it's not too late for you to go to law school? <laughs> Me. <laughs> Butch Hartman, if you could be any religious figure in the contemporary world, it would be? Jesus Christ. <laughs> and in the historical. Like yeah, that counts. Oh, yeah, okay, sure. That counts. Fine. Eric. Name the figure of faith it would pretty much stink to be. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> David Sachs. It would, because nobody would, nobody would. Because you get killed, don't you? You get, yeah. You get story, yeah exactly. David Sachs, your favorite religious event? Heaven. <laughs> Saladin, the most egregious misrepresentation of faith you've ever seen in popular entertainment. Maybe Reverend Lovejoy. <laughs> David Weiss, favorite mass entertainment about faith besides the Bible? Oh, um, yeah, I really love the Prince of, uh, Prince of Egypt. Hmm. That was really beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Amy is astounding. Butch Hartman, favorite hero? Superman. Eric Kaplan, favorite villain? Ooh. Superman. He's <laughs> Oh, it's a good one. Yeah, maybe Gus from Breaking Bad. Cool. David Sachs. We got five more here and then we're done. 
David Sachs, food you covet most outside of your religion? I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> do you want a cheeseburger? Oh, what do I covet most? Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. Do you want a clean to bring him a cheeseburger? It's our super villain. Oh, that's, that's true. Um, you know what? I, I was just downstairs on the main floor, and they had a mad number one. That looked pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> good choice. Saladin, religious verse that gives you comfort when you're facing the blank page. See first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added on. David Weiss, favorite religious curse. Not swear word, curse. Famous religious curse. Not yeah. swear word. Well, there was a great Chinese one. It was, uh... May you live in interesting times? Yeah. Kind of yeah, may you live in interesting times. That's great. Butch Hartman, greatest misunderstanding about your faith that you'd like to set straight? Not every Christian is a psychopath. <laughs> Eric Kaplan. The religious epitaph on your tombstone. Oh, you're you're you'll be here soon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and finally, uh, David Sachs, the religious epitaph on your tombstone. If your mother were writing it, um, you could have called. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we thank you very much, heroes and faith. You're listening to The World According to Gorf on the Nachum Siegel Network. Shame to heal a 
Time for your favorite part of the show, Torah Me Star Trek. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Torah Me Star Trek. This is your navigator. Dr. Jeffrey Lautman. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Vayetze. And I was thinking of the phrase in the first Aliyah of Rosho Magia Hashemaima, a connection between a lower world and an upper world. No doubt, I could go a lot of places with this one, such as the episode with the Troglites, or I might bring in a Lost in Space episode called The Antimatter Man. But I'd rather do a different connection, one that's biblical sort of. Let's talk about one of my favorite episodes and my wife's Terry favorite episodes, and that is called, And What of Lazarus? That is one of the greatest lines that I can think of. Let's talk about Lazarus for a second. Well, he's sort of related to the Bible. Lazarus was a biblical character said to have been raised from the dead by the hand of a nice Jew who grew into his own religion. However, here is where we test your Star Trek trivia. In another episode, Requiem for Methuselah, the immortal Flint was in fact the former Lazarus. Can you tell me who else he was? I'll give you a moment. He was Akarin, Methuselah, Shlomo, Alexander the Great, Lazarus, Merlin, Leonardo da Vinci, 
Johann Brahms, Abramson, and Brock. That is very cool. So, the next time you read that Aliyah, Verosho Magia Hashemaima, look up to the heavens, look up to the skies, and see Enterprise B, D, or C. That's Torah Me Star Trek from Dr. Jeff Lautman. Shabbat Shalom. Live long and prosper. Thank you, Chief Bottle Washer, Dr. Jeffrey Lautman. This is Jordan B. Gorfinkel Gorf on the Nachum Siegel Network. If you want to listen to this episode or share this episode of The World According to Gorf or any of the other wonderful programs on the Nachum Siegel Network, they are now available on iTunes as podcasts. That's right. You can take me, Gorf, and any of the other remarkable hosts of Nachum Siegel Network shows with you as podcasts on iTunes or listen live 24-6 right here on NachumSiegel.com. This wraps another episode of The World According to Gorf. As always, I invite you to enjoy my weekly cartoon, JewishCartoon.com online. That's JewishCartoon.com. You can visit me on Facebook, The World According to Gorf, and JewishCartoon.com. And for the best in Shabbat, Sabbath, and event entertainment, please visit www.pellaproductions.com. In fact, Pella Singers is releasing a brand new video on YouTube very shortly in the next few days. It will be celebrating the very rare confluence of Thanksgiving and Hanukkah, what some people have been calling Thanksgivingaka. On this occasion, we are partnered with StandWithUs.org, the Israel Advocacy Organization, and we will be traveling. Well, you know what? I'm not going to give it away. So look for Pella Productions' new video celebrating Thanksgiving and Hanukkah and the unbreakable friendship and bond between Israel and the United States in this new music video. Thanks again for listening, folks. I'll be back very shortly with another episode of The World According to Gorf. And as always, I end by saying, Shalom. Shalom, shalom.